Welcome, listeners, to another Transformation Church sermon podcast. Let's prepare our hearts to receive the Word of God. Come on, good morning, guys. Y'all doing good today? Man, I I thank you for being a church full of faith and uh, praying for uh, God to move in our communities and in our homes. And um, yesterday was amazing. If you didn't get a chance to be out there, I just want to, to thank you for being such a generous church and a compassionate church. We went and uh, really served. We gave away like a, uh, uh, about 100 different gas cards, $1,000 in gas, and we gave away clothes and, and fed about 150 families. And we gave, and then we did some home projects. And it was just, it was really cool to be the church and to watch your heart uh, to be the church in this community. So thank you for doing that. Can you give yourselves a little hand for that y'all I love that you guys have a heart to serve the community and then um, it's just cool to see God moving we do we got connect groups that are starting up and uh, a lot of you've led connect groups maybe some of you want to want to lead one you're new to that or maybe you want to host one let me just say this connect groups are just smaller groups of people that meet in homes it's just friendships it's relationships and when we talk about finding freedom she said that we believe finding freedom starts in connect groups well finding freedom starts with Jesus but the reality is this that that you need community and to walk out freedom it's it you cannot walk out the you can you can get forgiveness from God, but you get freedom from community in a powerful way. And so we want to encourage you that there's a freedom really found as you connect to each other. So if you haven't been a part of that or ever led one, go to Connection. We'd love you to get involved in that. Come on, y'all ready for the word today? It's going to, it, I've been, I'm in this, uh, the book of Hebrews. If you're new to our community, we gather around Jesus every week. We don't necessarily gather around principles and, and philosophies. We gather around a person named Jesus. And uh, so we open up the Bible and we look at him. And um, I think that he changes lives. He never changes, but he can change us. And we're going through the book of Hebrews. I'm gonna, uh, we're trying, not necessarily going line by line, but we're going uh, systematically through each chapter. And uh, I'm going to be in Hebrews chapter 2 today. Last week, to give you a little recap, the series we're in is called anchored. And uh, I think of all times we need an anchor in our life. Of all times with everything pulling us in so many directions, we, we, need to get to, some, we need to get anchored to something that doesn't drift. Everything else that sometimes we bank on and stake our anchor into down here in this system and in the earth drifts, but Jesus doesn't drift. The Jewish Christians in the book of Hebrews had gotten saved and now they were trying to combat a thousand years of temple worship. A thousand years of the sacrificial system, a thousand years of Mosaic law. They had been in this system, these other systems. And so what happened was they became Christians. And so now they just added Jesus to all their other systems. Come on. How many of us have just added Jesus to other systems? You know, we, 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 we get security through stocks and we get security through jobs and we get identity through, through different groups and different statuses. and different. But the reality is sometimes we just add Jesus to these other systems that give us security. And Paul is saying, no, 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 Jesus is the system. We don't need to add anything to him. It gets confusing when we do. And then we ended it last week with chapter 2, verse 4. And it's an amazing verse in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4 that talks about that God confirmed the gospel message that Jesus is supreme, he's superior, he's sufficient all through chapter one. And then chapter two, he goes on to say that God actually confirmed the gospel message with signs, miracles, and wonders and the distribution of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so there's all kinds of arguments in churchdom that the Holy Spirit gifts aren't operating today and, and so forth and so on. God actually said he confirms the gospel message you carry with the gifts of the Holy Spirit and distributing the power and the miraculous signs and wonders. And what Paul was saying to us is that we can have such a relationship with God through Jesus that there's, there's no choice but to be supernatural. 
that you and I should be supernatural people. And so we ended it on the reality that the only system that can be supernatural is the power of the, of the anchor of Jesus to change our world. No, no other system has supernatural power. I'm going to pick up in Hebrews 2, 5 through 18. I'm going to read quick, so you guys stick with me. should be on the screen. And, uh, and then I'm just going to give you some thoughts today about what Paul's teaching us. He says this, For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place saying, what is man that you are mindful of him? He's he's quoting Psalm chapter 8. What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you take care of him? You've made him a little lower than the the angels. He's given commentary on you and I, you and my status in creation, on mankind's status in creation. He's saying that we were made a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, and then you have set him over the works of your hands. He's he's commentating on Genesis uh, about that God gave us dominion in the planet. And then chapter 8, or verse 8, he shifts to Jesus. Now, first he talks about us, and then he moves to Jesus. He says, you have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him, but we see Jesus. Come on, somebody. Look at somebody and say, we see Jesus. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him for whom all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation, or the pioneer, the word captain's pioneer, the pioneer of their salvation, perfect through suffering. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he quotes Isaiah 8, 18. Here Here I am and the children whom God has given me. And as much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That he might destroy the devil. That he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And release those who through fear of death. I haven't seen more fear in the Christian community in the last 20 years than the last two years of my life. And to release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Fear fear makes us subject to bondage again. For For indeed, if he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham, talking about you and I, mankind. Therefore, in all things, he had to be like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted or tested, he is able to aid those who are being tempted and tested in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody, give some praise for the word of God. He is able to give aid to mankind. My title for today is very simple, The Economy of Grace. The Economy of Grace. Let's pray real quick. Father, thank you so much for grace Jesus, thank you that you became one of us. Thank you that you you decided to taste flesh and blood, that you became human, that you wanted to be like us. Thank you for the economy of grace. Lord, make us bold today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Amen. 
the economy of grace. We've heard so much about the economy, the economy, the economy. How do we stimulate the economy? How do we get jobs going? We've heard promises from politicians on both sides of the platform. They've got detailed dialogues about what they're going to give and what they're going to promise and, 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 and all. And how are we going to, how are we going to, don't deflate the economy. How do we inflate the economy? And just, just over and over and over. We've heard it for years. Probably if you've been alive and you're 18 plus, you've heard it for years as you've been voting and hearing politicians promise things. And here's the reality. They promise things about an economy and, and they, they do this. They're, even though there's different agendas and different belief systems on both sides of the aisle, here's what they do. There's one common theme. There's one common proclamation in all their promises. And this is what it is. We're just like you. We're just like you. And so they go to great lengths to go to ice cream shops and ball fields and ball games and put caps on and do speeches and act like they're part of our communities, right? And, and we're just like you. And so what they mean by that is we're just like you so we know what you're going through. We're just like you so we know what your values are. We're just like you so we know, so we know what, what's paining you. We know what's hurting you. We're just like you. And so since we're like you, we can understand you. And since we can understand you, we can help you. And so their, their premise is right. Their premise is accurate, but the power to perform is inadequate. And so there's this economy that Paul talks about that is this kingdom economy of grace where Jesus comes and institutes this economy. And there's these promises. And here's the thing about this economy of the kingdom. It cannot be overturned. It cannot be overthrown. It can't be downsized, diversified, sold, bought, traded. It's a kingdom economy. It's been going for 2,000 plus years, signed in the blood of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to give you and I a different economy to live by, a different thing to anchor our life into. It's an economy led by the most benevolent, kind, gracious, loving, powerful king ever to be on this planet named Jesus. His kingdom will not topple. His economy will not change. It supersedes every other economy. You can get into the world markets and into, into, your, into your little trading apps on your phone, and you can watch Bitcoin all you want. Come on, somebody. But this economy is the economy of grace. And, and Paul's making this argument. He's proved that Jesus is supreme. Therefore, Jesus is sufficient and all-powerful to help us like other earthly systems. And so he makes this shift in chapter 2, proving this. Listen, here's what he goes. He proves that Jesus is, is all supreme and all powerful in chapter 1. Chapter 2, he shifts, and he's proving that Jesus is all mankind, that Jesus is human. He, he has to prove to these, these ancient Jews that, that believed in angels and the Mosaic systems and were looking for a Messiah, that Jesus was actually human. It blew them away that God would be human. And so he's trying to prove that Jesus is human. And the point of that for us is that he can understand you and I. He's human. He can relate to us. He knows what we're going through. And now the premise is accurate, but his power to perform is adequate as well. He's all sufficient. He's got the power to make good on every promise that's ever been given to mankind. And my fear for me and my fear for you is that we've entrenched ourselves into systems down here that aren't the system. That we anchor into things and we bank our safety and our security and our, our, our natural means of living into this different economy when the reality is we need the economy of grace. We need to be careful what we anchor to in this hour. Chapter 2, 5 through 15, Paul is proving, here, here's it, very important for you to get this, Paul is proving that God promised rulership to mankind. Paul is proving when he's talking about Jesus, he, all this, I mean, I gave you some deep theological truths right there reading that, and some of y'all were like, oh, I don't have any idea what he's talking about. 
Here's the point. Paul is proving that Jesus became mankind to take back rulership of the planet because a man, Adam, in Genesis chapter 3, in Genesis chapter 1, God said, let us make man in our image and let man have dominion. And then man, Adam, in the fall gave dominion to Satan legally. And so if a man lost dominion, a man had to get back dominion. That's why Jesus had to become a man. And, and so, so Paul's saying that, that, that mankind was intended to rule the planet, to rule our hearts. Jesus is saying that G, God is saying that Jesus had to become a man to rule and to teach us how to get back to an intended place of rulership. And, and hear me, not ruling each other, that was the fall. That's where, that's where the fall came and we began to rule each other. The earth is still trying to rule each other, right? It, it, it's, it's intended for you to be able to rule your heart, to rule your attitude, to rule your outlook, to rule your behavior. Come on, right? You see a little infant, they're not ruling their attitude. They're like, ah, spitting food everywhere. Come on, sometimes we act like that and we don't. The Bible says that it's better to have self-control and power to rule yourself than it is to be able to take a city. So there's something intrinsic, there's some intrinsic power to rule in the planet by self-control and the power of God and the Holy Spirit leading and guiding you and I as people under the power of God. Is that making sense? Jesus had to become a man. Paul is proving that Jesus is all mankind in order to empower you and I to live in the, in the rightful intended place we're called to live. He, he quotes Psalm 8, verse 6 through 8. It says this, it says that you have made him a little lower than the angels, twofold. He's talking about Adam and the fall of Adam and, and, or, or Adam's creation and then what Adam lost. And then he's talking about Christ gaining it back. I'm gonna read verse 8 and 9 to you again. It says, you have put all things in subjection under his feet. Talking about Jesus. Everything's under Jesus' feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not under him. But we do not yet see all things under him. What, What does that mean? That there's still evil men and women and evil spirits and demonic activity in the earth. You can look around this planet and see that everything's not under Jesus' feet. It it is, but it isn't in this reality, in this realm. It's not quite under his feet yet. And so he says everything's under his feet. But then in verse 9, he shifts, and I love this. He goes, we don't see everything under his feet yet, even though it's all under his feet, but we see Jesus. I mean, that's that's one of my new favorite verses. We don't see everything in order. We don't see everything working out, but we see Jesus. We don't see everything perfect, but we see Jesus. And so my question for you is, is can you get your eyes on Jesus? That's what Paul's saying. Like in the middle of discouragement and destruction and pandemic and and all of this stuff's under Jesus' feet and it doesn't seem like it all the time, but do you have the ability, God's saying, you need to get your eyes on Jesus. We put our eyes on so many other things and I I think sometimes we get discouraged by how we're looking and what we're looking at. It says Jesus was actually crowned, was suffered death, crowned with glory. Literally, that, that it's under his feet, suffered death, crowned with glory. That he's won. He's victorious over all the chaos, over all the news, over all the destruction, over all the planet, over all the pandemic. He is God. He has won. And therefore, can you get your eyes on him when it doesn't make sense? I think the hardest part of the kingdom economy is keeping our eyes on the king. I mean, here's the reality. If you can keep your eyes on Jesus, everything else is just walking on water. (laughs) If you can keep your eyes on Jesus, you can walk on storms. 
You can walk on marriage problems. You can walk on, you can walk on bankruptcies. You can walk on, on children being astray. You can walk on your dreams going cold. You can walk on some, some dead, dry areas in your life sometimes because everything doesn't seem like it's under Jesus' feet. Is he really in charge? But we see Jesus. Amen. I want to put my eyes on Jesus. I want you to look at Jesus. I, I just want you to get your eyes on Jesus. I know everything's not working out the way you thought it would. But we see Jesus. I think that needs to be somebody's new slogan in your family, in your home, with your kids. They can be complaining, but we see Jesus. <laughs> that's, that's the new, that's my new, my wife will hit me. <laughs> she'd probably like, she'd be doing something like, but we see Jesus, honey. She's like, don't say that for the pulpit. You know, don't tell me that. You know, but I think there's a reality that we get to see Jesus. Jesus is the model of all humanity. Verse nine, it says, and he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. I love this. There's a, an ancient tradition or an ancient way to actually give the death penalty. They would actually make a convicted, um, guilty criminal drink poison. And so in these times, Paul's referring to the customs of that day, that, that the custom was to kill criminals by making them drink poison. It says that Jesus tasted or drank poison for all of us, that literally every man and woman, child, person on the planet deserved a guilty verdict and, and, and was, had, had their own cup of poison that they had to drink. And that Jesus decided in his power in the economy of grace that he would drink the cup of poison that was mine to drink and that was yours to drink. He decided that I'm going to become a man and I'm going to drink the poison so they don't have to drink it. That he drank the poison of sin and death for you and I so you don't have to. You can write this down. The poison of sin has no power in Jesus. I would just say don't drink it. He drank it already. My brother was an insurance lawyer years ago for a big company, and there was this case that came about that he had to defend the insurance company in, and, and there was this young guy that put uh, antifreeze in a Mountain Dew bottle in his, in, in his garage because he was working on his car. He took the Mountain Dew bottle and put antifreeze in it, and then he left it there in the garage floor. Well, his mom saw the Mountain Dew bottle and took the Mountain Dew bottle and stuck it in the garage refrigerator. They're playing basketball with his friends a couple weeks later, and one of the dudes opens up the refrigerator, thirsty, sees an uh, open Mountain Dew bottle, and just chugs that thing. Burns his entire esophagus, didn't die, but did some damage and all that. The family sues the insurance company, and they do not win because it's called stupidity. <laughs> Negligence, you know. There's two morals to this story. Don't drink out of bottles in the refrigerator in garages. that you didn't put there. And number two, Satan will always disguise his poison. And so what you think looks like Mountain Dew is not always the case. But here's the good news. Jesus already taste tested. <laughs> Jesus already sipped on sin. You don't have to. You don't have to wonder, can I sip this? Can I taste that? Can I do this? Is this okay? You just say, hey, Jesus, why don't you just taste test this for me? Jesus, why don't you just try this for me? I know it looks good. And, and the devil's going, this Mountain Dew is refreshing. And you're like, man, that looks good. And you just, you, Jesus? And he's like, man, I told you that'll burn your throat. You're like, nah, it looks like Mountain Dew. Satan always wants to disguise stuff. And the beauty, beautiful thing is Jesus already tasted sin and death and, and the things that would hurt us. And I would just encourage you. I think the problem is we don't want to obey the word. We don't want to read the word and ask Jesus to taste test our lifestyle. 
I'm not trying to come at you hard. I'm just trying to give you the truth that I would ask you, I would ask me, run our decisions, run our thought processes, run what we're feeling, run it through the word of Jesus, run it through what he would think, how he tasted it. And he might tell you, this is going to kill you. Don't taste it. And so I'm so thankful he already tasted it. So I don't have to. He tasted death for everyone. Verse 10, for it was fitting for God, him, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. He's saying that that he wasn't lacking anything, but he had to experience death through suffering in order to get us back to our original intent and our design as mankind. Jesus had to die. He had to suffer. And he became the pioneer or captain. It actually means means he led the way or he, he, he forged a path for our salvation. That he tasted death, he became a man, forged a path so we could get back into a place of humankind the way God intended us to be, right? He forged a path, the pioneer of my salvation, the pioneer of your salvation. Why is that important? Have you ever forged a path anywhere? Anybody through the woods? About, you know, ever for, I, I was in, a, in, in the Amazon jungle on a mission trip one time. They were going to try to forge a path through the woods. They'd already told me stories about deadly poisonous snakes that kill you in three steps and drop out of trees because they can sense the heat on you, right? <laughs> they told me about panthers in the night that eat you. They told me all this stuff. And so the guy that was there, my friend, the missionary, he, he's like, we're going to go on this path. I'm like, I ain't going first, dude. <laughs> and, and, and so literally, it was embarrassing but I was walking behind him. I was up in his back pocket, somebody. I was like, <laughs> so he's like, it's a little awkward. I'm like, I'm getting close, baby. We're, cl- we're on the mission field. It's all right. And, 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 and he forged the path. You ever walk through the woods and forged the path and you, the first one has to walk through the spider webs? Come on. And then, and then, you know, it's on you. It's somewhere. It's somewhere on me. Oh, it's on me. <laughs> You're telling people to check you. You're like, man, check me. You know, you know, for hours, it's on you, right? It's saying that Jesus took on every spider, every poisonous snake, every panther in the dark. He forged the path to your and my salvation. Now, you don't have to walk around freaking out all the time. You can walk boldly back in your position of grace behind the king of kings that already forged a way for you to be God's children in the planet. You don't have to worry about the news report. You don't have to worry about the stuff coming unglued. You you can walk behind him because he's the pioneer of your salvation. The the point of it is he took away the fear of the web, man, the fear of sin's web, the fear of of thinking you're going to get devoured. We walk in so much fear. We're God's bold kids, and we can walk boldly behind him into any path we need to walk in because he's already forged away. Verse 11, the one who sanctifies and the one being sanctified are all one, for which reason he's not ashamed to call us brethren. And what a statement. If the one who sanctifies and the, and the one who are being sanctified are all one, what does that mean? That we have one nature. That Jesus became like us, but not only did he become like us, He made us like him. That's true empowerment. And now he doesn't only want us to, he doesn't want to just be like us. He wants us to be like him, powerful in the planet, full of grace and mercy and boldness. We actually have the power. We have one, we're one nature. We're one flesh and blood. God came to earth to make us like him, to give us divine nature. First, Peter says that you have partaken of divine nature by the promises of God. You have God's DNA in your blood. You have God's system inside of you. You have the power of God running through your veins. You've partaken of divine nature. Well, I'm just this. 
I'm just that. Quit downplaying the creator on the inside of you. You have one nature. He understands you. And because he's like you, therefore he can help you. He gives us the nature and the power and the ability. Here's why we have one nature, because we got one daddy. We share, we share the same father is what Paul's saying. You can write this down. Jesus became like you so you can become like him. That's empowerment. And he's not ashamed to call us brethren. Come on, how many of you have that relative that you're a little ashamed to admit? You can't deny it because they look just like you, but they're like, who is that? You're like, um, it's Brother Eddie. Come on, everybody knows the crazy Brother Eddie. Come on, yeah, I hope if there's any Eddies in the house, I love you. Let's go hang out. It'll be fun. I know it. Everybody's got that crazy relative that you're a little, that you're a little hesitant. It says that God's not hesitant to call us brothers and sisters, that, that we all understand that there's someone in our life we're a little hesitant to, are, are we hesitant to call Jesus our master? Are we hesitant to call Jesus our Lord in public? I don't know. But the reality is this, he's not hesitant or ashamed to call you his brothers and sisters. I mean, what level of love is that? Sometimes you're more ashamed of yourself than God is ashamed of you. And if he's not ashamed of you, why would you continue to be ashamed of you and your actions and your situation? No matter what you've done, what you've been through, where you've walked, he is not ashamed to call you son, daughter, brother, sister. Come on, that's God's love. That's the grace of God. He's not ashamed. Come on, let's don't be ashamed of each other. We're one family. I know we might be crazy sometimes, but come on, he's our God. He's given us power by grace to not be ashamed. Verse 12 through 13, he quotes scriptures about Jesus and us and God from the Old Testament. Verse 13, he quotes Isaiah 8, 18. He says, here I am and the children God has given me. It's an amazing quote in the middle of this. He's saying, he's saying, here I am and all my kids. Here's my family. God is saying that there's supernatural things that we're called to do, but more than just supernatural signs and wonders we're called to do, Jesus and Paul and God are saying that we are a supernatural sign and wonder. That you and your life are a supernatural wonder to humanity. That when you walk out of here, you're a wonder. When people look at your life and go, how in the world did they make it through that? How in the world did they come? To, how in the world did they change? How did they get free from addiction? How did they get set free from that pain? How did they walk through that like that? It's a wonder. It's a miracle. I remember when I started dating my wife, I, you know, I, I gotten saved, radical. She would have talked to me if I hadn't gotten saved. I started serving God. My grandmama thought my, my, my girlfriend changed me. Like, that girl Sandra, she changed him so much. I'm like, she's fine and all that, but she isn't that powerful. <laughs> yeah. I was messed up, man. <laughs> you know, I mean, God, it's a miracle that God changes you. He saves your marriage. He changes your little sarcastic cuts and your, 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 your downplay of people. He changes the way you treat others. He changes your outlook of, of joy. He takes a, the garments of heaviness and gives you the, the garments of praise. He takes ashes and gives you the oil of joy. He changes you from bitter to blessed. He changes you. Come on, that's the economy of grace. That's a miracle and a sign and wonder. Verse 14 through 15, Jesus became human he died so that he could be merciful to, to us and what we face, so he could represent us to God. He tasted the power of death and sin. And this is what it says, that he actually tasted death and destroyed the works of Satan by tasting death. What, what is that? Like, that it said that Satan had the power 
to bring death because he had control of sin in our life so he could introduce sin and then cause death to enter. And it says that Jesus tasted that and actually destroyed or rendered ineffective Satan on the planet by taking on death. I call it, he, he flipped the script on Satan. Anybody ever seen the movie Eight Mile? Y'all aren't gonna admit it in church, are you? <laughs> it's a movie about Eminem, the rapper. And it's, a, it's an amazing story about his life and, and, and who he was. And y'all don't judge me and everything like that. Like just, okay, it's a great movie. And, uh, and it's about his life. And he's in this rap battle and he gets into this place where he's fighting these dudes in this rap battle and he, he doesn't have a chance to win. And if he doesn't win, it's gonna be bad for him because he's like the only white dude in the whole area. And like, he, and, and he shouldn't been there. And like, you know, you know him as a rapper, like they, they were testing his skills and seeing if he was gonna be good enough. And so all of a sudden he begins to rap. But, but in, as this last battle goes, what he did was he took all of the ammunition that the dude was gonna use on him. He knew what the guy was gonna say about his life, how the guy was gonna make fun of him for being white how he was trailer trash. He, he knew all the things the guy was gonna throw at him. And so he began, he, went, he had to go first. So he wrapped all of that dude's ammo against himself. He just said it, he just put it out there. He flipped the script. And so by the time he got done rapping and then he began to dog the other guy and tear him apart, he had already won because that guy had no more ammunition to bring at him. It was crazy. It was a flip the script moment. That's what Jesus did to Satan. He knew that Satan's ammunition was death and sin and hell and fear. And Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to take the very thing that he intended as the demise of my creation, and I'm going to eat that. I'm going to ingest that, and I'm going to flip the script on him and render him ineffective so that he can never have power over my life or your life again. It says that he released those, verse 15, he released those through fear of death. Listen to this. He released those through fear of death who were all their life in bondage. He released you because you've been scared to death of death. You, you've been, he released you from being scared to death of death. And like I said before, I've seen so much fear, fear of death, fear of death. I'm not saying don't be wise, but I've seen so much fear permeate through God's people and God's kids. We're scared of death. Paul says that Jesus tasted death and removed your fear of death, that he flipped the script and that you could live bold. Could you imagine in the economy of grace if we actually lived without fear of death? Come on, you ever seen people, you watch them, you're enamored by them. That's why you watch high diving in the Olympics. <laughs> that ain't no fun. You just know they could die. That's why you watch Evil Knievel and tightrope walkers and people going across you know, big giant cliffs in the Grand Canyon. That's why we're enamored. Why are we enamored? You know the people that have no fear of death. You know who they are, right? Some of you are in here. You backflips off cliffs and waterfalls. Crazy people, right? Jumping motocross and, and, and racing cars. Come on, Stephen, racing cars at 180 miles an hour on dirt tracks right there. No, we're enamored by that. Why are we enamored? Because we know that they could die and they don't care. It's entertaining. Like God is saying that what if you lived, what, how would the world be enamored at your life if you weren't afraid of death? How would we live if, and what would it look like? And how would people see us if we didn't have a fear? And I know they do it for the glory of gold. What if we did it for the glory of God? Oh, come on, somebody. 
I don't want to be scared. Jesus said, you know what? You can live bold. You can live brave. You don't have to be afraid. Jesus wants our daily lives to actually look like this with no fear where people go, wow, how do you live different? Don't be scared all the time. Stop being scared all the time. Stop being scared to talk about your Savior. Stop being scared to pray for miracles. Stop being scared to lay hands on people. Stop being scared to ask someone how they're doing. Stop being scared to give your money. Stop being scared to bless somebody in the street. Stop being scared to talk to people. Stop being scared to get close to people. We don't have fear of death. The reality is, if you, if you aren't already dead to it, you can't live to it. That's the gospel. Verse 16, I got a few more verses in three and a half minutes. Y'all ready? Verse 16, it says, he did not take on the nature of angels or give aid to angels, but he gave aid to the seed of Abraham. It's saying that he helps you and I from sinking, that he became flesh and blood to help flesh and blood, that he can aid you today from sinking. Verse 17, therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren. He had to, he had to become flesh and blood. He had to know what we're going through so he could be merciful and help us in our need. He became flesh and blood. He didn't come as Thor. He didn't come indestructible. I would have come indestructible. I'd have had my hammer, somebody. Come on, I had Tony Stark suit all day long. He didn't come like that. Why? Because God always intended to use flesh and blood. And my point to you is this, that God wants to use you. And he's not waiting for you to be indestructible. He's waiting for you to be available and bold and brave God always intended to use people like you and me. It might be on the screen. No one else is coming. No one else is going to save your neighborhood. Jesus, save our schools. You better open your mouth. Jesus, save my neighbor. You better talk about Jesus. Jesus, do miracles. You better put some verses on it and talk it. Thy kingdom come. Jesus says, don't look here nor there. The kingdom's not out there. Where is the kingdom? In here. Where do we want the kingdom to come? In here. Jesus, unlock the kingdom in here. Unlock doors and potential and power and places that you've called for me. Jesus, I need you to unlock some stuff. God wants to use you and I. Verse 18, I'm going to end here, and we're going to go back into just a second of worship. Got a few more minutes. Verse 18, it says, for in that he himself suffered being tempted or being tested, he is able to aid those being tested and tempted. He understands what you're facing and he's able to help you in your situation. Anything any one of us in this room have ever faced, he has faced and understands it. You ever gotten advice from somebody about kids that had no kids? You're like, man, shut up. <laughs> Are you... <laughs> Somebody's got like a nine-month-old. They're giving you advice with your teenagers. You're like, and they're like, I've been a parent. Like, you ain't been a parent. You're able to lock a kid in a seat and shove stuff in their mouth. That ain't parenting yet. You get somebody somebody who's overweight giving you workout advice. You're like, dude, you had not sweated since the oldies with Richard Simmons. Don't talk to me about that. (laughs) But but when when I'm in trouble, I want to call somebody that's been through it and got out of it and made it through. Jesus has made it through. He's saying that he's tasted and been tested and he can actually 
give aid to you as you're being tested. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know if it's a divorce. I don't know if it's financial ruin. I don't know if it's anger or frustration in your marriage. I don't know if it's a child in jail. I don't know if it's a sickness or a disease. I don't know if it's financial problems. I don't know if it's mental problems. I don't know if it's secret addictions. I don't know what it is, but he has been through it and he can be called upon to help you in your time of need. That's the whole point of chapter two that he is a man and that he came to understand what you've been through. The premise is accurate and he has the power that's adequate to help you in any situation. I wanna pray for you today. and Maybe you need him to be your anchor. We're gonna go back into a response time. I believe this every week. We're doing this every week now. We're just gonna respond to God's word. I don't wanna just receive, I wanna respond. God wants us to respond so we have communion stations on both sides of the room and then one in the back. Actually four, there's two on this wall and two over here. There's just communion sitting there. And then we're going to have our ministry team down here. If you need prayer, maybe you need Jesus to be an anchor. Maybe you've been kind of pulled to and fro and you just need somebody to pray with you. Come on, we want to pray with you. We're going to worship for a second. And and maybe you need a fresh start with God. I'm going to pray for you. Maybe you just need Jesus to be your anchor. Maybe you've tasted death yourself and like, man, I got shame and guilt and fear. And you've never made Jesus your Lord. You've never really surrendered to him as your Lord and Savior. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes real quick? Father, thank you for this Word, thank you for the book of Hebrews. Thank you for an anchor. Jesus, thank you for being the pioneer of our salvation, the captain of our soul, leading the way. Lord, when, we could, when we're being afraid of all the things out there in the world, thank you that you became our Lord and you led the way. You went to a cross, you died, you removed sin and you removed every, every spider web of fear and every bit of sin. You removed our shame, our guilt, and you, you drank the poison for us on that cross. And today as we sit here at your word, God, I pray that you would just Grab our hearts. If you're in this room, no one looking around, heads bowed, eyes closed. Maybe you just say, you know what? I need a fresh start with God, Pastor. Pray for me. I need Jesus to be the the Lord of my life, the captain. I need a fresh start with God. Would you just put your hand up to me if that's you? Come on, God bless you, sir. I just need a fresh start with God. The Bible says if you give your life to Christ, God bless you, young lady. God bless you, ma'am. Thank you for your boldness. Come on, you know in your heart that he's not your Lord. You've gone to church and all that stuff, but you like, and I want, I want him to, to lead the way. Just for another second, God bless you. I'm gonna pray a simple prayer and then we're gonna go back into responding to God for a second. Every hand that went up, pray this prayer with me. If your hand didn't go up, put your heart up right now. Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Jesus, we surrender to you. You are Lord, you are captain, you are leader. Thank you for dying on that cross and coming back to life. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. Make me alive and bold to you. I will serve you the rest of my life. You are my God. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, let's worship God for a second. Thank you for listening to another Transformation Church sermon podcast. If you would like someone to pray with you, or if you would like some ministry materials, please email us at hello at transformationchurch.us.